My friends, I am so excited. Today we have a special guest. This is episode 59, and you will be hearing Shannon's story today. Welcome to Best Life After Cancer. I'm so glad you're here. This is the podcast where cancer survivors and caregivers can get solutions and support to overcome the life challenges brought by their cancer diagnosis. If you are ready to release your fear, regain your joy, and reduce your risk, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Dr. Deborah Blitzbach. Shannon, I am so excited to have you. We had the opportunity to have a little mini session recently, and I had such fun chatting with you that afterwards I said, please come and do a podcast with me. We'd love to hear your stories. So we're so excited to meet you, and I'd love if you would just start and tell us your story and how all of this came to pass. Well, thank you, Deborah, for inviting me on the podcast. I just want to first thank you for everything that you're doing with this podcast. I found you on a random search on Apple Podcasts, looking for some help, some guidance, some information after all of my treatments. And each episode that I kept listening to, I was like, I'm dealing with that. And I'm dealing with that also. Wow, this is amazing. So just the support information and the inspiration with this podcast is amazing. So I just wanted to thank thank you you so much. I really appreciate that. I work in healthcare. I've been a nurse for almost 30 years now. I was diagnosed October 2019 with triple negative breast cancer that was caught just on a routine mammogram. Um, They found a mass and then was scheduled for an ultrasound and a repeat mammogram. And the radiologist at that time just came in the room. And you can tell when you're in healthcare, when someone's really looking around and looking up in the lymph node area, I had a good sense without even knowing that there was something going on. So he asked if I could stay for a biopsy right then, which really? was amazing. Wow, that's amazing. Usually they don't do that. That's exactly. really nice. I didn't have to go home and wait for a biopsy. And that was amazing. So we did the biopsy. I just said, what, what do you think? And he goes, well, Shannon, we have to wait for the results, but by the way it looks and the size and everything, it looks very likely that it's malignant. So that was the start. You know, it's, it's a bit of shock, obviously in the beginning. And then you just kind of, what's the next steps? Right. So, it turns into the whirlwind of all the appointments all at once and exactly, like, you know, exactly. crazy succession. Right. So as a healthcare worker, I had met with my oncologist for one visit. I had not had my PET scan yet. We were doing like cardiac workup for pre-chemo. I had found out that it was triple negative. And so researching, find that it's one of the rarest breast cancers, one of the hardest to treat. So I wanted to know everything I could know about it. But even before my PET scan, I had reached out to MD Anderson. There's a triple negative clinical trial there. (laughs) And I was registered as a patient there. That's awesome. Yeah. So I just wanted to get all the information that I could just so I'd be prepared for the road ahead. So I ended up having my PET scan and they found a secondary thyroid cancer. Just what you needed, right? Exactly. Exactly. So that actually threw me out of any clinical trials because it was a second cancer. Yeah, that would. Yeah, right. So that was okay. NB Anderson was tabled. And then I met with my oncologist and we started neoadjuvant chemotherapy beginning of December. 
Mm -hmm. um, went through four and a half months or so of chemo. Yeah. Then I had a double mastectomy in May, then a partial thyroidectomy in August, and then breast reconstruction in October. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Did so you need lot. radiation or did you manage to escape without radiation? I escaped radiation. So no lymph node involvement. That was and lovely. Yeah, that was great. Um, so yeah, it was just a whirlwind. And then March, you know, of 2020, California was in a lockdown with the pandemic. So that, so that was sort of in the middle of your chemo, right? Right. I had about six weeks left of chemo. Okay. And then all three of my surgeries were obviously I had to be alone, no visitation. Yes. And for me, I'm, I'm single. I live alone. I'm very independent. So it wasn't really that difficult, but I did see a lot of people, especially that last six weeks of chemo where we'd go into the office, everybody was six feet apart, feeling crappy from chemo mass. Nobody's talking to each other. It was really tough to right. see. The nice thing about being in medicine, I think, is that it is less scary for us when right. we go into things. So for people like us, the operating room is not such a foreign environment. Right. And, you know, we really understand all of how things go along. And so I think that helps for, you know, the people who are medical in the middle of the pandemic, it was a lot less scary because at least we weren't going into an environment that was completely alien to us. Exactly. You know, I remember my oldest son had open heart surgery when he was six weeks old. Oh, wow. And the real blessing for the two of us was that we were medical. And so the ICU was not such a scary place because we understood what all the displays meant. And we were able to interpret if an alarm was bad or if it was just a displaced lead. So, you know, right. I watched the other families there and it was so much harder for them. I was really grateful at that point to be medical because it does make it just a little less scary. Right. Yeah. I felt the same way, but then I also going through this, I knew a lot of the questions to ask and it really gives you the sense of people that don't have a medical background or don't live in an area with a great health system with right. a great team of doctors and what yeah, they're going through. That? Because even for me as a nurse, my diagnosis, my treatment, it's complex. And then you throw in genetics and trying to understand that piece. And that was very eye-opening. You know that there's health literacy problems in rural areas, but when you're going through it, it was like, For wow, sure. how are people doing this that don't yeah. have everything that I had available to me? So you had genetic testing. Did that come back? Yeah. So I wasn't BRCA positive. I was negative, which was great, but it threw in a variant of unknown significance to the ATM gene, okay. which was not pathologic, mm -hmm. but it was still well, you have this variant, you know, we don't know exactly down the road. So it kind of made some of my decisions, whether I did the double mastectomy yeah. or went for a lumpectomy with radiation. There is a lot of decision making. Our doctors are very good at guiding us. This is what's going on. This is a treatment, but it's amazing how many things you still have to decide as a patient on your own, right? on your own. Yeah. Because if there are two options that are equal in terms of cure rates, we may have some thoughts on which is right, but really mm -hmm. we do want patients to be making a decision of what's right for them mm -hmm. because what we think is right for us or our family member is not always what's right for the patients. So yeah, yes. we really do depend on 
on patients to understand their options and make the decision that's right in their life. Correct. And then we threw in the the thyroid piece, which there's so much controversy over a partial versus a total. Some endocrinologists are maybe more old school and some are newer coming out of school, more progressive. So it was a lot. And did you have any big struggles during the chemotherapy, any hospitalizations with neutropenia, any issues like that? Chemo went flawless. <laughs> I did really well. That's awesome. Really well. I did dose dense, mm-hmm. the, so which more is really frequent. the standard. Yeah. yeah, most more frequent, lower dose. So I ended up every two weeks for the first two months, and then weekly for the last two months. I had to not do a couple of weeks because my okay. counts were too low, so I had to skip. And the last five or six weeks was, you know, you're getting pretty tired, but I would bounce back. I'd have my steroid day, which was lovely. (laughs) I hear that on your podcast with some of your other. Yeah. Everybody's like, oh, steroid day is great because I do (laughs) all this stuff. I do tell people who are still in the process though, to really watch what they do on the steroid day, because you can really exhaust yourself that then takes a week to sort of recover from that because you feel good. And you're like, oh my God, I feel good. I'm going to do 30 things today. And then you are down for the count for a good number of days after that. So the, the, every other week wasn't so bad because you had enough time to kind of recover. But then when it went weekly, you know, I had my chemo infusions on Friday, Saturday, I felt pretty good. Sunday started, you know, kind of slowing down. And then by Wednesday, Thursday, it wasn't feeling great at like a day that I was doing pretty okay. And then going back to treatment on Friday. So all in all, I'll just have to say it was much better than I anticipated. I never was hospitalized, never had to have any transfusions. So I did really well with chemo. That's wonderful. And how was your response to chemo? It was immediate. So I did adriamycin and cytoxin. Mm -hmm. Then the second half was taxol, but then I added some carboplatin to try and get that complete response. But immediately when we first started the infusions, I was feeling the lump shrink. So adding the carboplatin was a discussion I had with my oncologist. And I, at that time, I just wanted to do everything I Mm -hmm. possibly could to try and get that complete response after surgery, which I did. That's wonderful. (laughs) Yes. Which we all know having a complete response really increases your odds long-term because if everything disappears in the breast, if there were any cells that escaped and are waiting to set up shop, it really improves the odds of killing them off as well. So that's really a wonderful thing when you have a triple negative. It really gives you a sense of, oh, maybe I can take a breath. Right, right. Then just dealing with everything that comes after an aggressive chemo regimen with all the little things going on now. When you are diagnosed, you have your chemo plan, your surgery plan. You're just in it. You're just doing everything as you're supposed to do. And then when it's all over and my oncologist handed me my cancer survivorship booklet, and I'm getting ready to go back to work in a couple of months. And it was just a time of, wow, I'm, I'm finished, but I'm still not myself. I still have a lot of little things. You know how sometimes a lot of little things can add up and be a little bit more frustrating sometimes than some of the big things that you go through. It's that sense of, okay, I've got these 
three months of things that I've got to get through. And then I've got the surgery. And then after that, life's going to go back to normal. And we set you free, sort of telling you that you're done and you're back to normal, mm-hmm. but you're not. And so that's what's so frustrating. And that was actually why I started this whole program, because I realized that setting people free with a 20 minute survivorship appointment and then just nothing is just not what a lot of people need. They just need more than that. They need a little bit more handholding. They need a little bit more love. They need a little bit more TLC. And really they need to be taught to deal with all the brain crap that comes from all of this. Exactly. Exactly. I'll share with you. I've been back to work and I've had three or four patients in the six, seven months that I've been back to work that had a history of breast cancer that we're back now with a reoccurrence Mm. with metastatic disease. It's a trigger for me, obviously, and I'm going to work with you hopefully in the fall. (laughs) I was going to actually mention that, that you're already signed up for this this next um, session, which is so exciting. I know it'll be great. I'm really looking forward to that. The fear of recurrence is not consuming me at all, but things like that will trigger me, obviously, in the work setting. And I really struggle with what to say. I would love to, you know, really help cancer patients and do some kind of advocacy role or liaison in the future. I just don't feel like I'm emotionally quite ready for that. You know, with the triple negative, you want to sort of get to maybe at least three years where you have more of a sense that you're probably going to be okay. Right. Just because there is no magic bullet for being triggered when you meet people and hear people, you know, all the time. One of the things that's so interesting is how I see patients respond when someone in the media gets diagnosed with, you know, a recurrence with what they had. I mean, it shakes them to their core. Mm-hmm. And I tell people, this is normal. This is your brain taking this and being like, look, if it could happen to her, it could happen to me. And of course, you're going to be shaken up by that. There's no way to get that to not be present in your life. But then how do you talk to yourself after that happens? Just recognizing that that is a completely normal response, but it doesn't have to send you into a tailspin where you eat a bunch of crap, drink a bunch of alcohol, sit in front of the TV and don't exercise and have a poor me day. But like, I think that people, they want to get to a place where they're not freaked out by that. It's not the reality. You have to still take that and be like, yes, there is risk in life, but I'm going to still choose to really live my life. Right. And it actually has been a gift. It has been a blessing in so many ways. I'm traveling. I have better relationships with my family. I actually feel like I'm a better nurse. Sometimes in healthcare, you get so routine. You're just doing things repetitively all the time. And, you know, I did labor and delivery for 12 years. I've been doing case management for 12, few things on the outpatient side, but long time in healthcare. And it can get very routine. And I'm actually listening better. I'm more empathetic. So in the workplace, it's helped and with relationships and I'm really living, I am traveling and and having a good time. So there's been some blessings. I feel like that's the silver lining for so many people. It's that 
kick in the seat of, hey, no one has any guarantees. And if you're waiting until you retire at 68 to do the things you want to do, well, you could be in a car accident next week. And that could be it. It's interesting to try and figure out how to live that way without (laughs) a major diagnosis. You know, everybody says that, right? Right. But But so many people don't. Don't. This has really been a test and a, a kick in the pants, as you would say, in a very good way. The truth for all of us is what we have is today. Because yesterday is gone. Tomorrow isn't here yet. All any of us have truly is the day that we're in. And so every day that you just let slide by with no enjoyment, with no living, with just doing your work and sitting in front of the TV and eating ice cream and no memories created, that's a day that's gone. You're not getting it back. So I think for me, the real blessing of working in oncology has been that, that I get that constant reinforcement of we don't know what life has in store for us. We don't know what the future holds. And so let's take the time we have and really make the most of it. It's so interesting because this summer I told people I was taking a break from a lot of things and I took about a two month break. And then this week I was like, I miss it. I'm ready to start back up. So we are ready for you to start back up. I was like, I'm kicking everything off again. I'm going to get this moving. So yay, that's great. You know, I find like, it just really gives me a sense of fulfillment. And it was so interesting because this came out of the pandemic because so many of the things that I normally did that made me feel fulfilled and alive sort of went by the wayside during the pandemic. So I couldn't do the ballroom dancing and I couldn't do a lot of the things that I do with my girlfriends. And all of a sudden my life shrank to just going to work and coming home and working at home and going to work and coming home. And I was like, I need something that feels like more. And so I created this and it's just been really amazing people reaching out to me from around the world and telling me that they love the podcast. Can't imagine a better way to just share the gift that I have, which is knowledge. It is really a great podcast. It's like you have your medical expertise, but then you throw in, you know, inspirational stories. And then you throw in other physicians in the field that help us make decisions, just a good mix and really, really enjoy it. So I'm glad you're, you're back so much. (laughs) So if you had advice to give to people who are sort of starting this journey, what things made your life easier during the year from diagnosis to finishing everything? Support obviously, whether it's family, friends, someone else to listen, Mm -hmm. you know, to go to appointments, to listen to what your oncologist is talking about, because you're very stressed at that moment of of diagnosis. It's just, you're terrified. You're not maybe processing all the information. So a lot of people even have someone on FaceTime with their appointments just someone else to listen. My older sister is also a nurse. So she was going with me to some of my appointments and just taking notes and so useful. It's really, really great to have, even though you're in healthcare, when you are in it, your brain is not (laughs) normal. So having someone with you 
to just process the information and listen to all these doctors. You have your right. radiation oncologist, and then you have the genetic people, and your oncologist, and your surgeons. There is so and much it's information. So much information over such a short period of time. Right. And what you said is really something that I want to point out to people, which I think a lot of people don't realize, which is even if there's no one who can be there with you in person, we welcome, or at least I welcome patients having someone on the phone or even using their phone to record the session. Exactly. You know, so if no one is even available that they can be there with you, you can record it and then go back and take notes afterwards. So you don't try to write anything down while you're in the moment, you record it, you listen, ask questions, and then afterwards you go back and transcribe it all so that you have that information. And I think a lot of people don't realize that that's even an option. They're afraid to ask the doctor, can I take a minute and get so-and-so on the phone? Don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to ask if you can record it. If you're in a big health system, obviously rural areas, it's probably more tricky, but I work for Sharp and we have a whole cancer team and we Mm -hmm. have cancer liaisons and we have these people, the patients need to know they're out there. to utilize. There's social workers that help you with the mental piece. There's help out there and a lot of people don't know about it. So that's, that's one thing. Exercising, getting outside when you feel good, walking, that helped me tremendously. I had a great friend who's also a case manager. She was relentless. Whenever you're feeling good, that's the day I'm coming over and we're getting out of the house. So just being in nature helped. I live really close to the beach, which so mm, my that's so walks nice. were lovely, but it really helped mentally to get out of the house. I think there is something about the permanence of nature that it's the same the week after you were diagnosed as it was the week before. It gives you this sense of your life might be completely upside down right now, but that the world is still going on. Everything's okay. We have times sometimes when we have kid issues or other issues. And I've shared that my father has dementia where just if I've had a really awful time with something new to process and I get out and walk at the same place we always walk and it's still the same quiet, peaceful forest. There's something about that that brings you calm. I agree. I totally agree. I think my senses are just kind of heightened after this. Mm -hmm. Everything seems prettier and the water seems bluer. And these are all great things. Yeah. And I'm happy for it. And I live in a very beautiful part of Southern California. But the nature, I'm really connecting more to Mm -hmm. it driving up the coast. I did that multiple times and it really, really helped me. So if anybody has opportunity to do that, yeah, there is nothing like the Pacific coast highway. There is a beautiful scenery. (laughs) It's stunning. I think that's awesome. And I totally agree on all that. I really think that exercise helps too. I think that the people who exercise at the end of all this feel better quicker. So the people who completely stop exercising, stop being active and just sit on the couch or lay in bed, they struggle much more to get back to feeling good at the end. So as much as possible on the days you feel good, I really, you know, I can't harp on that enough with the people that I treat. Right, right. Try, 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 try. (laughs) My uncle just said every day that you feel like you could even walk to the corner, do it. And that's, that's great advice. Anyone that you want to give a shout out to? Oh my gosh, there's so many. (laughs) My son, 
who has been amazing through all of this. I'll have to share. He's in his early 30s, lives in Austin. I was a single mom, so we're very close. And the hardest part of this entire thing was telling him. Really, I'd go through chemo and every surgery again multiple times. My grandson, I was in Austin for his first birthday. I had known about my diagnosis for a couple of weeks, and I decided to not tell anybody to enjoy the party, which we had a lovely first birthday, had a great time. I was able to compartmentalize it, I guess you would say. Mm -hmm. And then the next day, I told him and his wife, and my son just was very quiet and kind of got white. He excused himself, went upstairs for about 20, 30 minutes and dealt with his feelings by himself. Mm -hmm. And then he came back down and he said, okay, mom, what's the plan? What are we going to do? And he's been that way the entire time through. And he's just amazing. So big shout out to my son, Devin. Also, all of my family, friends. I have three older sisters, lots of nieces and nephews. Every one of them just did everything they could to be supportive and help me through the pandemic, which obviously was <laughs> difficult. And lastly, I want to shout out to my medical team at Sharp Healthcare. I say my family wasn't with me during my surgeries, but my Sharp family was there and they took amazing care of me. So thanks to them. Yeah, I was very lucky. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. It's oh, so thanks nice to for having me. Story. And I am so excited to have you with me this fall for the program. Yes, We're going to have a great time. Thank you. I'm excited to work with you on the, the little things that I still have. Yep. <laughs> Let's crank them out settle. and get, get them figured out. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks, Deborah. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Best Life After Cancer. Did you know you can get more information on my website, bestlifeaftercancer.com? There is also a Facebook page, Best Life After Cancer MD, where there is a group just for survivors. Here you are able to interact with me, ask questions, and get more help. I'd love to see you there. Have a great week, and I'll speak with you soon.